if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. We are underway now at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday. It is the third morning of the month of February in the year of our Lord 2021 coming up on the program today. In about 40 minutes or so, we are going to be talking about the vaccine. We're not going to be talking about the efficacy thereof. We're not going to be talking about whether or not you should or shouldn't, but we are going to tell you if you do want it, uh, where you can get it. Because uh, the government has selected a few pharmacies, a very select few pharmacies, to deliver the vaccine to them to be able to be administered to you rather than in a hospital or a doctor's setting. You can now do it at various drugstore pharmacies, and we're going to be talking with one of them. And, yes, it is Discount Drug Mart uh, coming up at 948 about that and how they got selected as uh, one of the uh, premier uh, pharmacies in the country to be able to distribute the vaccine to those who wish to take it. And that's exactly what we'll talk about. Again, I'm not going to offer an opinion about whether you should or shouldn't. Shouldn't. There's a lot of strong opinions on both sides. But the fact that it is available to you in an Ohio-only pharmacy, and that's what DDM is, uh, it's uh, something that's very big. And we're going to talk to them about that at 948. At 1035, you're going to want to be here an hour or two. If you heard my interview with Ohio's 16th Congressional District Representative Anthony Gonzalez the day after he joined nine other Republicans and all of the Democrats in their political fantasy impeachment in the House of President Trump, doing so without ever having a committee hearing to present evidence, without ever giving the president or his team an opportunity to oppose, just a full-on two-hour assault on the Constitution. After that, the day after that interview, or excuse me, that vote, I interviewed Anthony Gonzalez and asked him why. Um, I, I think it very well may be the day that began the end of his political career. I mean, almost immediately, people throughout the six, well, really all over Ohio who heard my interview, and it uh, essentially went viral. It got picked up by some national uh, websites as well. Uh Immediately after that, people started screaming and calling for Anthony Gonzalez to be primaried, to get rid of him in 2022 from the 16th. And we don't want a Democrat in that seat. We want a Republican who's actually going to respect the Constitution. 
And I got to tell you, I, I take no joy in this. I mean that 100% sincerely. I take no joy in this because I really like Anthony Gonzalez as a person. I liked him as a representative. I cannot abide by what he did, though. And so this is his choice, and he admitted it to me on the air. He knows it's going to have repercussions. He knows there's going to be a lot of work to try to get people to forgive or to understand and to respect what he did. And uh, it's very likely and possible that uh, no one will and that it will cost him his seat in Congress. So he knows it. But um, immediately the call came for somebody to primary, Anthony Gonzalez. Well, guess what? The first name to step up to do that is in. His name is Jonas Schultz. I don't know much about him, but I know that he is filing uh, of the paperwork to be able to be a candidate in 2022 in the primary against Anthony Gonzalez. I'm going to talk to him uh, coming up at 1035 this morning. He wrote a nice statement explaining why he is doing what he is doing, but we need to get to know this gentleman. Uh, he's probably the first of many who are going to file paperwork at some point or another to uh, primary Jonah, or his name is Jonah Schultz, to primary Anthony Gonzalez. So that'll be coming up at 1035. I think you're going to want to hear that conversation. All right, so those two chats this morning, along with your phone calls at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Do not forget, we have a new phone number for you to remember. Save in your phone. It's our listener message line. This is just for people who need to leave a message for the show. If you want to criticize or praise something that you heard, if you want to comment on something that we were talking about but couldn't get through while you were on hold, whatever the case might be, maybe it's a story that we haven't talked about, whatever you want to say to us that you can't say on the air for one reason or another, you can leave a message at 216-525-1806. We are endeavoring to put those calls available and make them ready for air. So remember, when you call that message line, anything you say can be used on the radio. So make sure you understand that. 216-525-1806. Save that number in your phone if you've got a message to leave for the show. All right, let's start with it. $1.9 trillion of liberal Democrat excess. That's the spending bill that they want to ram through the United States Senate in reconciliation fashion, using the budget reconciliation process. In other words, not needing the Republicans or a Republican to vote on their side. They're going to use budget reconciliation. And in order to do so, they're going to need all of the Democrats to join together, all 50 of them. The question has been, will Joe Manchin be one of them. Will Joe Manchin go along with his party's um, plan to ram through this $1.9 trillion recon- or, uh, um, uh, relief bill uh, down the throats of the people and down the throats of Republicans? Will he do it without any bipartisanship? Yesterday, Joe... Ma- and by the way, I'm going to pa- uh, pause here for a second and take uh, go back to the Wayback Machine for a few people. And I have said this on the radio, too, so I should say for a lot of people, but specifically the few, uh, you know, I don't know, what were there, 100 people, 150 people? I don't don't even know, at the uh, McFan meeting about uh, three weeks ago, last month. Anyway, people said, Bob, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We lost Georgia, and, you know, you even said on the radio, if we lose Georgia, all hope is lost. What are we going to do? And my response to that was, well... It really felt like that. Uh, All hope was lost. But I am going to tell you, here's what we have to do. And I talked to them about this, and I'm going to repeat it now. I said, all we can hope to do, really, between now and 2022, is tread water 
meaning don't fall any further behind with the most radical um, leftist pieces of legislation that the Democrats are angling for. And even though we don't have the majority in either House or either either Chamber of uh, Congress to, uh, to stop it, what we can do is appeal to those who are not radical socialists. And I, I specifically mentioned a name that many people are aware of, and that is West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin. I said, this guy's not a radical Bernie lover. He's not a radical AOC supporter. He's not a radical Kamala Harris type of Democratic senator. He has been a reasonable moderate slash centrist. He even calls himself a conservative Democrat, if such a thing can exist today. Certainly it has existed in the past. It's one of the reasons my parents were Democrats. Uh, because they were kind of conservative, but my dad was a union worker, and uh, that was the party of the Democrats, and away we went. They had a lot of the same beliefs, conservative Democrats, that conservative Republicans have today. So it's rare, but it's there. Joe Manchin, a conservative-minded or centrist-minded Democrat, um, could be the guy, I said, that you know stops the most radical proposals from going through. The D.C. statehood, the uh, elector, uh, uh, electoral college abolition, the uh, packing of courts, and all of these kinds of crazy, the Green New Deal, all of these kinds of crazy things, we, we might be able to count on one or two, maybe cinema's another, um, less radical Democrats to to stop these bills. Remember, all it takes is one vote, we talked about. Well, here we are. Yesterday, Joe Manchin appeared on Fox News' special report with Brett Baer and was asked very directly by by Brett Baer if Senate Democrats could count on him to vote for the package, the $1.9 trillion relief bill, um, within the rules of budget reconciliation. And I want you to hear that uh, question and answer. We're pushing forward with reconciliation, which means not 60, 51 votes. Let's say they figure out a way to write it where it all fits under the rules. You're questioning that, but let's say they do. And they come to you and say, Joe, we need that vote. And it's $1.9 trillion. Are you voting for it? What, Brett, what I have told everybody, and I made it very clear from the President of the United States to all of my colleagues, we're going to make this work in a bipartisan way. My friends on the other side are going to have input, and we're going to do something that we agree on. I'm not going to do it just down the lines of, of just saying party line vote. It has to make sense. And if it's out of the realm that makes sense and what we've worked on together, we've built too much trust up among each other to allow this to fall apart so they can count on me to make sure that we do everything to make this bipartisan so that sounds like a no if they try to <laughs> blow it down the, the line we're not going to blow it down the line they can't do it down the line it, basically we've got to be able to those who are defending their numbers whatever they may be in whatever category they have to show where it comes from the sources and where the need is we have to look at basically how much we've already spent in those arenas there's a lot of money that's gone out the door and we all know that i didn't i wish we would have been able to sit down and work through a bipartisan way 
They all knew that. They knew where I stood. But I wasn't going to stand and not allow us to go down a pathway. And they're going back in history, Brett. In 2009, they said that I wasn't here. They tried to work on the Affordable Care Act. They worked for eight or nine months negotiating, and then it all fell apart. We really don't have that amount of time if we, it would fall apart. I don't think it would, but that's that's their interpretation of it. So I said, fine, we'll start yeah. this process, but I want you to know I will vote in a bipartisan way. So Joe Manchin, all right, shut up. Joe Manchin has has done, at least for now, by way of the talk, what I suggested that he might be able to do. Now the question is, is will he do by way of the walk what he has done by the talk? Will he refuse to cast that vote for that $1.9 trillion relief bill without bipartisan support? What this means, of course, for budget reconciliation, instead of the 60 votes it would take to get this legislation through the Senate, it would only take 51 votes. And as we know, Democrats are 50, Republicans are 50. The tie-breaking vote would be cast by Kamala Harris. So we know how that works. But all it takes is one to say no. All it ta- That's what I was trying to encourage people about when we talk about how we're sunk. All it takes is one. Now, he's not going to say no on every issue. It isn't going to be as if he's a Republican and we actually have a slim 51 to 49 advantage in the Senate that we can count on. Not at all. I told people that. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be times when we curse Joe Manchin on the air. Hopefully I won't curse, but you understand the point. Um, Over the next two years. But if we can count on him or one or two other more moderate Democrat senators to not allow the most radical things to be done, then we can just tread water and not sink any lower between now and 2022 when we'll have a legitimate shot at taking the House back. Massive gains in 2020. Massive gains. We narrowed the deficit in the House uh, from a pretty significant Democrat margin to a very, very slim margin. If we continue that momentum, run the right candidates in the right places, In the right districts, we can take the House back in 2022, and now we can really do some work to limit the damage that the radical, tyrannical overlord that is Joe Biden is going to wreak on this country. And I do not say he's going to wreak havoc just in hyperbole. I mean he is already doing it two weeks into his term. Today is the two-week mark, by the way. He has now signed 47 executive orders or actions. He is governing by executive fiat. He is truly what he described in October of 2020. He is a dictator. He said only dictators govern by executive order rather than the legislative process. He is now a dictator. And that's why we need so badly to tread that water, hold the line until 2022 when we can truly, as part of the you know, balance of power, three separate but equal uh, branches of, of government, uh, can we check this out-of-control executive. I want your thoughts. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Are you encouraged by Joe Manchin? Do you think he'll cave eventually? you think that was just a soundbite because he was on Fox News? Or do you believe him? I kind of feel like because he's in a state like West Virginia, he does have conservatives to answer to. I I don't think he's lying. I think he has to play this very, very close to the middle. 216-901-0945. Join us on AM 1420, The Answer.
Okay, it's 927. Thanks for being with us. AM 1420, The Answer. We'll talk about Joe Manchin. We'll talk about that um, $1.9 trillion stim- uh, stimulus or relief bill that the Democrats want to push through that includes, by the way, a federal $15 an hour minimum wage, which will, quite frankly, without pulling any punches whatsoever, destroy American businesses. Destroy them. You understand that? Studies show that a $15 minimum wage across this country would lead to a minimum of $1.5 million job losses. Oh, but the people who get the minimum wage will have a little bit more money in their paychecks. Yeah, that's nice until they lose their jobs because the businesses cannot afford to keep up with that type of overhead. And they cannot keep paying everybody, so they lay off a few at the first. Then they got to lay off a few more. Then they got to raise their prices. And then they got to close their doors. How's that fifteen dollar an hour wage serving you as you stand in the unemployment line filing for benefits? You tell me, Joe Biden. Let's go to Matt and Lorraine. Matt, you're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Go right ahead. Hey Bob, this is off topic a bit. I wanted to talk about the vaccine. Uh, uh, I'll no, tell you what, I'll tell you what, Matt, hold on, Matt, hold on. Let me put you on hold. We'll bring you up on the other side of the news. If you're going off topic, we'll do that, because I've got an interview coming up about vaccines in the next half hour anyway. John in North Ridgeville, let's stay on topic. Uh, John wants to hit Joe Manchin. Go ahead, John. Hi, Bob. Um, I, I listen to you a lot, and I've been following Joe Manchin for the last couple years. Mm-hmm. I certainly hope you are not becoming a dreamer. Name me one time, or any of your audience, one time, that Joe Manchin has come through for us conservatives. He's a big talker. He's a man of little action for the right moves. I've called his office repeatedly, talking nice, telling him he's doing the wrong thing. None of it changes his mind. He's a big, smooth, faker talker. I hope you're well, wrong. Well, here's, here's the thing, John. Yeah, here, here's the thing. I, I, I hope you're wrong, obviously, uh, and I know you hope you're wrong, too. Um, here's the thing. Right. They're not going to listen uh, to any phone calls from Ohioans because you don't vote for him. You cannot vote for him. He's going to be concerned about West Virginia votes, obviously. And as we know, West Virginia is, you know, there's a lot of red in West Virginia. In fact, it, it has often been a red state, uh, despite recent activity. Um, so he's got to satisfy, you know, the conservative voters in that state as well now what i would have, what i have said is john and thank you for the phone call i got to get to our news here what i have said is he's he's not a republican he's not a conservative in that we can count on him all the time but he's not a radical okay he's not a radical he's not bernie he's not kamala he's not schumer he's not one of those radical democratic senators that are you know on the marxist level or on the socialist scale as such he's our best hope as such, and this is what I also told Jim Jordan on the air last week, I think it was, maybe it was week four, and when we talked about Joe Manchin, I said, you know, Congressman, it's one thing for us to be able to count on you to vote the way we want you to, and you almost always do, but what we have to do now is call on our Republican uh, members of Congress, both in the House and the Senate, are you going to vote the right way, and who are you bringing with you from the other side? Meaning, we need you to not just say, well, we'll work across party lines. We need you to specifically have conversations with Democrats that are like-minded in terms of uh, you know, being moderate or being reasonable, and who can you bring along with you? 
And that's what I'm hoping happens here, that there are Republican members of the Senate who can talk to Joe Manchin and say, you know what, you got to do what's right for the country, not what's right for your party. Your state, by the way, which is you know purple at, at, at best for the Democrats and is oftentimes red, your state is going to remember what you do here. And hopefully, you know, sway a guy like Joe Manchin because he's the only real hope, or he and maybe a couple of others like him that we have. So I hope uh, I hope I'm right. I hope you're wrong, uh, John. And I know you hope for the same thing. Back after the news. So I want to respond a little bit more to. Um, uh, John from North Ridgeville, who uh, you know has a lot of real serious doubts about Joe Manchin's uh, seriousness when it comes to what he is saying, saying that he's been all talk and not all walk. Um, maybe. I don't have his entire voting record in front of me, but I'm just going to give you a little bit more of what I can say that gives us a little bit of a reason for hope, and I think that's a very valuable and important thing. Um, Manchin, in addition to now promising... Uh, to not support this $1.9 trillion uh, relief bill filled with all kinds of Democrat spending that does not need to happen. Remember, the Republicans, 10 of them, all of them rhino moderates, really, uh, met with uh, Joe Biden with a $600 billion package. So obviously about a third of the size of what the Democrat package is. Uh, and of course, the Democrats say, no way, that's not happening. But In addition to Joe Manchin saying he will not move forward and vote for this unless there is bipartisan support, which is very important, he also said back in November that all of this talk about if the Democrats win control of both houses of Congress and the presidency, that they're going to pack the Supreme Court or end the legislative filibuster. He said in November, not a chance. And ironically, it was also on special report with Brett Baer, He said, and I quote, this is in November, it's all the same. Nothing has changed. My job right now is to do everything in my power to bring this country together, to heal the country, and to work in a bipartisan fashion, which is the reason we have a Senate. He went on to say, quote, I commit to you tonight, and I commit to all of your viewers and anyone else who's watching, when they talk about packing the courts or ending the filibuster, I will not vote to do that. Brett, this system, this Senate, is such a unique body in the world. It was made to work together in a bipartisan way. And once you start breaking down those barriers, you lose everything. So that's about as direct as it gets until there's time to actually have a vote. He will not vote to abolish the legislative filibuster. He will not vote to pack the Supreme Court. Now I'm going to take you to another place. This is more recent. That one was from November. Now let's talk about what else happened last week when it comes to protecting the filibuster. It's been two months since Manchin made that bold statement. What's he saying now? What's he saying last week and this week? And the answer is he's saying, no, we will not abolish the legislative Senate filibuster. And he's saying it alongside another Democrat. Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin have both come out and bucked party leadership. They have told Chuck Schumer, we're not going to do this. The nuclear option is not an option. And they are right to do so. Mitch McConnell was being pressured by President Trump to do that during his four years to abolish the legislative filibuster. 
and Mitch McConnell refused to do so, and I believe rightfully so. I don't always side with Mitch McConnell, as you know. And I almost always side with President Trump, but not in this case. President Trump was wrong to try to get everything that he wanted to get done through a legislative uh, filibuster, or getting rid of the legislative filibuster, needing a simple majority. Because then it would be used against us in perpetuity, especially if they end up doing something like achieving statehood for the, uh, you know, for Puerto Rico and Washington DC and who knows, maybe even Guam or whatever other American territories they wish. You know, then they start adding two by two more Democrat senators from each of those new quote unquote states. Um, you can't do it. It's, it's a terrible, terrible idea. And so Mitch McConnell bucked the. So. Well, now here comes Chuck Schumer wanting to do the same thing on Monday night last week. So a week ago this past Monday, on the 26th, I believe it was, 25th, 25th, um, the stalemate over the legislative filibuster ended. Chuck Schumer said, quote, we're glad Senator McConnell threw in the towel and gave up on his ridiculous demand. Uh, we look forward to organizing the Senate under Democratic control and start getting big, bold things done for the American people, end quote. And we know what big, bold things done by Democrats are. It's erasing American sovereignty. It is erasing American law and order. It is erasing American um, borders. It is erasing uh, America's, our Constitution, quite frankly, our rights, our Second Amendment rights, our First Amendment rights, and on down the line. Remember, Chuck Schumer did say, prior to the Georgia runoff election, first we take Georgia, then we change America. Not strengthen her, not support her, not heal her, change her. But by the end of the day, Mitch McConnell was the one with the last laugh. And he was smiling ear to ear. Why? Because he got very specific promises from Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. Two moderate Democrats who have come out strongly against getting rid of that legislative filibuster. So on Monday last week, McConnell then had his turn at the podium, and he declared victory for his side because, quote, today two Democratic senators publicly confirmed they will not vote to end the filibuster. With the protection of the filibuster, Schumer and McConnell... Uh, I'm sorry, that was end quote. With the protection of the filibuster, Schumer and McConnell will share the power in the same way the two parties did the last time it was split down the middle in the 2000s. The legislative filibuster was a key part of the foundation beneath the Senate's last 50-50 power-sharing agreement in 2001. With these assurances, I look forward to moving ahead with a power-sharing agreement modeled on that precedent. So, again, you know, these are, yes, in in uh, John's words, these are just words, they're statements, but... Um, it's pretty hard to walk back from these public statements of I'm not going to vote to pack the court. I'm not going to vote to end the filibuster. I'm not going to vote for the trillion $1.9 trillion stimulus slash relief bill without bipartisan support. He's putting it out there. Now let's see where he goes. But I, I kind of have some faith in this one. Because I think it's going to be impossible to answer to his voters in West Virginia again if he says these things publicly and then goes the other way. All right. That's just where I'm going to stick that for right now. Uh, let's see. We're going to go to Matt now, who is in Lorraine, and he wanted to talk about the vaccines last segment. Let's bring him on now. Hi, Matt. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. Thanks. Yes, sir. You know, when they first imported the, the, vaccine, the vaccine to Ohio, um, DeWine made sure that frontline personnel, health care workers, fire EMT got vaccinated, and then the, the more vulnerable, the seniors of, of 
Ohio got vaccinated, as it should be. Mm-hmm. But he never included or even scheduled for police to get the vaccine. Who come in contact with the general public as regular as anybody else does. And it puts the public and the cops in danger. When, when you come down as a, a cop with COVID and they do back tracing and your last partner or couple partners have to go on quarantine and you're on quarantine for 10 days, two weeks. If you're talking a, a large department, maybe it's not such a big deal. But when you're talking a small to mid-sized department, you've got several people that are out on quarantine because of contact tracing or because of having the virus. And now the public and the cops that are still on the job are at risk. I've been trying to figure this out, uh, Matt, since since it happened, since he, he announced those first responder uh, priorities uh, in terms of getting the vaccine. And I still can't put my head around it. And I still don't know if any reporter has gotten an answer from him on this as well as to why cops are not included among first responders. You know, you say they come into contact as much as anybody else does. I would, I would argue even more so. Uh, you know, and, and oftentimes because of the anti-police atmosphere that the society is in right now, um, whenever police come into contact with citizens who may or may not be, you know, uh, um, COVID positive, uh, they're oftentimes, and maybe more often than not, in adversarial situations where they're being yelled at, they're being screamed at by defiant, resisting suspects or even witnesses, um, screaming at them as they put them on video camera to try to get them to do something that they, they could, that can go viral. All of these things, you know, there's personal spaces are being violated. They're getting right up in the faces of officers. And I think they're at more risk than, than firefighters would be. And this is no doubt. I want the firefighters to have priority, too. Don't get me wrong. I want the EMTs. I want everybody who is a first responder who comes into close contact with the public to be protected if, indeed, the vaccine is that protection. And the idea that cops aren't part of that, I'm, I'm still waiting for an answer from the DeWine office to get a, uh, you know, to, to, to shed some light on, on, as to why that isn't. I agree with you a thousand percent, Matt. Well, hopefully you'll be able to get some answers because there's nothing forthcoming uh, through any of the unions or any of the other reports that I've seen online uh, or any of the contacts that have been sent directly to the governor's office or, or the AG's office. There, there's no response. There's nothing scheduled. And it's just going to continue to put people at risk needlessly. And once again, the the people that are relied on to prevent anarchy and are the first line of defense in all matters uh, are considered to be the least among us. Yeah, you, you know that's 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 very well said, and it's uh, you know, and I am trying to get answers. I swear, and I know other reporters that I've talked to have tried to as well. They're not getting anything. Nobody is asking it during the press briefings with the wine. You know, twice a week, usually twice a week. So even if I can get an answer off the air, outside the uh, uh, the uh, confines or constraints of a of a press conference that they're doing, maybe we can just get a statement from his office. I will get it to you as soon as I get one of those for you. Okay, uh, and I appreciate Thanks, it. Man. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for the phone call. I I've talked to um I have talked to Gary Wolski, who's the president of the Ohio FOP uh in the past about this. Uh and he's wondering as well, nobody can I mean, how can the FOP not have an audience? The, the especially the president of the FOP not have an audience with uh with Mike DeWine. 
with the governor. How can how can they not get this answer themselves? But you know they can't. Dewine won't talk to them either. So you know they've come to me and said, "Hey, can you help uh, get an answer from Dewine?" I can't get a hold of Dewine either. Last time I had Mike Dewine on, uh, it didn't go so well <laughs> for him, which is why he's never going to come back, obviously. But um, all right, music is playing. You know what? I, I see Gary Wolski on the line. Uh, I'm going to talk to him, but I need to get a break here. I've got an interview scheduled right after this. Gary, stay on the line, and we'll finish our thoughts on this. By the way, speaking of vaccines, that is the next interview. We'll share that coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Now we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. And, uh, wow, uh, do we have a guest on the line? I'm a little bit unclear as to where we are right now. Uh, do we have a guest on the line? I'm hopeful. We don't. Okay. Then we're going to go to Gary Wolski after all. Gary Wolski is uh, the Ohio FOP president. I told you I referenced him before because he and I chatted off the air about why it is that uh, cops have not been included among first responders who are first in line uh, for the vaccines, according to Governor Mike DeWine, and uh, we've gotten no answers. Gary, you have something to add to us this morning. Good morning. How are you? Good, Bob. How are you? Thanks for the opportunity. Yes, sir. What do you got? I mean, you know, all all along, all we've heard from the governor's office since this started was follow the science, and the science from CDC is that law enforcement officers are first responders with firefighters and EMTs, and now we got skipped. And there's no reason. I mean, Attorney General Yost has wrote a letter. Uh, Director Stickrath from Department of Public Safety has contacted him. The Mayor's Association, Chiefs Association, myself, I've done some interviews. And the only thing I've seen response-wise from the governor was that they reassessed their priorities and law enforcement was moved down and they'll get to us. And as you know, that's not a good option. And State Senator Grundell also wrote a letter to him after she saw the letter that I wrote in an interview that I did requesting that he reevaluate and, and move us back up the list, especially after they vaccinated all the prisoners in Geauga County Jail. I mean, how do they figure <laughs> these people get there? The cops are the cops are contacting these people, like you said. Probably the you know, many of the people that the law enforcement comes in contact aren't wearing masks. They're more susceptible than anybody. And and I would challenge anybody except maybe the, the, the frontline health care workers in hospitals who contacts more people a day. Police fire EMS you know, we, we contact more people, and we should have been one of the first groups done right after the healthcare workers and, and the elderly that are, you know, extremely vulnerable. You know, we, we get that, but to, to move teachers ahead of us, and now funeral directors want to be want to be up there on the list, and you know, the, the kids in the classroom can be socially distanced. The teachers don't have to come in physical contact with these kids. They've changed the rules where kids don't have to quarantine if one of their classmates is infected. So what's the risk compared to law enforcement? We we can't socially distance with the people that we come in contact with. Yeah, I couldn't say it any better, Gary. That's exactly the point I was trying to make to my last caller. I mean, you guys come into contact all the time. And as I said, oftentimes it's hostile contact. You know, do you know that the CDC issued a statement yesterday, I believe it was, a guideline for watching the Super Bowl? What they said was no ch- if you are in a closed environment, don't cheer. Why? Because opening your mouth to yell sends those COVID droplets, if you will, much further than if you're just talking and you're going to infect people in your in your room or in your place where you're watching the game. So that obviously lends to what I'm talking about here. 
Cops get screamed at all the time. Uh, whenever they confront somebody, if somebody feels like they're being arrested unjustly, if they're being stopped for the wrong reason, or this, that, even if, even if it's from the car on a traffic stop, and a police, you want to know why I, uh, I pulled you over? It's, and they yell at you, and guess what? If you buy the air, inf- you know, the, um, uh, infected air, six foot space thing. Then these people yelling are going to put cops in more danger just for, because they're 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 being belligerent and being loud with them. So that's just one example. But yeah, how on earth, Gary, can they justify saying, "Well, we'll get to you guys later"? Well, it, it, it's amazing because other states have followed the CDC guidelines. I have friends that post on Facebook every day. Got my shot. Got my shot. Got my shot. What about you guys? No, nah, we're still waiting. We're still waiting. And to make it even worse, Bob, a, a very good friend of mine that works in, in one of the suburbs in the area here said that the giant eagle in their community is vaccinating their employees. Well, how are the grocery store workers getting ahead of cops? And I assume <laughs> that those vaccinations were meant for the community, you know, the, 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 the elderly population that's, you know, scheduled right now to do this. And that's the second. I heard one, one story out of, uh, out of Boardman, and this story is out of a you know a, a local giant eagle in, in our in our community and in, 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 certainly in your listening area, that's craziness. Yeah, I had not heard about you that know, at all. Uh, but that that is crazy. What's even crazier is you pointed out that they were uh, uh, that they're vaccinating the uh, people. Excuse me, the inmates in the jail in the local jails, uh, which is just insane. And you know, the Biden administration going on the national level, the Biden administration was all set to start vaccinating the inmates at Guantanamo Bay. Not the actual, not the actual jailers, not those working the, you know, the soldiers down, but the inmates at Guantanamo Bay, including Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, for crying out loud. It was only after just a massive loud uproar that he pulled the plug on that one. Uh, but still, on the local level, they're in, they're they're vaccinating prisoners before vaccinating the law enforcement officers who are in charge of them. Gary, I can you tell me this? How does the FOP president, that's you, get denied an office, meaning a, a conversation, uh, to have an audience with Mike DeWine, the governor. I mean, how come you can't go to him directly and get a get a you know get something from this? Well, actually, Bob, I I, I, I usually am on a call every every Wednesday around ten o'clock with the director Stickraff from Public Safety and and a, and a member of the governor's staff from his office. And it comes up every week. And last week, Director Stickrat said he asked again because, as you probably remember, they had a trooper pass away last week from COVID, or, or yeah. it might be two weeks now. And the governor just doesn't want to seem to bend on it. And the guy I talked to from his office doesn't seem to give a really good answer other than they talk about it. And, you know. Okay, so basically they're blowing you off. Life. So basically they're blowing you off. Maybe I misunderstood that from before then, Gary. So basically they're saying, yeah, we understand you want the cops to be hit, uh, to be given the shots, but, uh, but like you said earlier, you know, we'll get to you somewhere down the line. Um, exactly. maybe assuming, maybe assuming you'll just be quiet about it. I'm glad you're not. I hope you go to me. I hope you go to other radio shows. I hope you go to the newspapers and put a lot of public pressure because that's what it's going to take on the governor. Because guess what? You know, while they may not care, they being, <sighs> Those who are part of the anti-police, abolish police, defund police, uh, police are the enemy crowd. Uh, the vast majority of Ohioans are not. We recognize the value in the work that you do. We recognize the danger that you are in because you have to co- uh, come into contact with the public multiple times a day, every single day. So maybe it's going to take a lot more public pressure on the governor and on somebody else in state office to make sure that this gets done. 
Bob, thanks for those comments, and, and certainly the men and women in law enforcement know that, that the majority of Ohioans are, do have their back and everything. And we'll keep asking, and, you know, I've done a couple TV interviews, and it's helped because it, it, you know, it gets people asking questions, and at least, you know, someone in the media might have a better chance of getting through to the office and getting a comment. I know the, uh, the uh, reporter in Cincinnati I spoke to had a small clip, and it was something from one of the governor's press conferences that, you know, they're working on prioritizing everybody, and unfortunately, I guess we're just not a priority. Yeah, that's what I want. I want an answer as to if you're prioritizing the most vulnerable, how are you prioritizing police so low on that list? I mean, who's more vulnerable? Seriously. I mean, you, you outside of hospital workers, frontline healthcare workers who see and deal with and treat the patients, they've got to be considered top. And then, of course, senior citizens who are at such a higher risk of fatality if they contract this virus. Senior citizens, people over 75, the numbers are, are, are way, way, you know, more off the charts. Outside of those two, I don't know anybody, um, you know, that would be considered more vulnerable simply because of the amount of contact and the type of contact, as I said, requiring physical confrontation sometimes, face-to-face confrontation that sometimes gets loud. For crying out loud, sometimes you get idiots who uh, who spit on you guys. Forget about droplets, flat-out, full-on saliva coming at you guys. I mean, how anybody who's trying to put a priority list together could put cops down there at number 9 or 10 or whatever. I just... I don't know, Gary. I don't know. And I hope people are, are, are who are listening to the show right now are all going to flood their state offices, representatives, governor, et cetera, with, uh, with, answers to the, with questions demanding those answers. That's, that's all we can hope for. And, again, that's, you know, that's, I, I keep asking every week. I do what I can social media-wise. I've written letters, and, and fortunately, you know, Senator Grendel picked up on it. Mm-hmm. And it, maybe it'll take a, a large group of folks from the legislative body to contact the governor's office and ask what's going on. I think that's it. And, yeah. You know, I think it is. That's what I'm going to tell everybody. Call your state representative. Call your state senators. Call everybody you can and demand that police officers are front. You know, you guys, we talk about frontline health care workers. You guys are the real frontline health care workers because you are trying to stop people from jeopardizing our health. You're out there chasing down bad guys. You are stopping people for who, who harm uh, our general population, and yet you are not supposed to be protected in the course of your duties. We've got to reach out, and we've got to make a difference here. And, Gary, I can promise you I'll, uh, I'll be as much of a thorn in their side as I possibly can. Thank you. Appreciate that. And so does everybody in law enforcement, Bob. Appreciate that. Thank you for what you do, Gary. You got it, my friend. Thank you. That's Gary Wolski, president of the Ohio FOP. Wanted to get on a thought on this. And I, and I mean it. I, I'm not going to sit here and read you the phone number to every state representative. You've got a computer. You can use a search engine. Do not use Google, by the way. Use a search engine. Look up your Ohio state representatives. Find their email addresses. Find their phone numbers. Find Mike DeWines, flood their offices with calls, and demand that police officers be bumped to the top of the list for for vaccinations. Now, again, that's for those who choose to take them, and I want to always make that clear. I am not going to tell you to get a vaccination or not to get a vaccination. The beauty of this country, at least for now, is that we are free to make that choice. But if you do want one and you're a police officer, you should be first in line or near the first in line to get one. By the way, real quick, because we're up at our news now, we didn't get our conversation with our guest, but uh, I'll just tell you what's going on here. The governor's office has chosen a select few pharmacies to distribute live vaccines uh, to their customers based on, of course, the prioritization of vulnerabil- vulnerability and discount drug mart uh, is among them. 76 discount drug marts 
and I, you know how I feel about Discount Drug Mart. It's, uh, you know, it's my go-to place. It always has been. But 76 of the 200 community pharmacies chosen to step up and provide vaccines to those who want them are Discount Drug Marts. That just speaks volumes about the respect that Discount Drug Mart has in the community. Uh, currently, they have over 225,000 people registered. And that is phenomenal. Again, if you are uh, of a mind and you want the vaccine, I love that you can get it at Discount Drug Mart, especially, again, you're going to have to wait your turn in terms of the age brackets and so forth about the most vulnerable. But uh, I'm very proud about that and very happy for my friends at Discount Drug Mart. All right, it's 10.01. We'll get the news now and come back with your calls.